Alright, today is Sunday, April 26, 2020, and this is episode 250 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Kellett. Good evening, sir. How are you tonight? I am great, um, but it is a crazy, crazy time in the history of humanity. I will say that. I think it's kind of when I take a step back and I, you know, pull myself out of the doldrums of depression and anxiety, it is pretty fascinating to watch something so historic happen live in our own life. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a really, um, it's interesting and terrifying and, and absolutely devastating all, um, you know, all in, in one. Uh, but I, you know, I, I hope everybody is safe and and well and your loved ones are well and and uh and whatnot and that you are um you know, you're, you're getting through this okay so indeed anyhow um just a reminder that the thoughts and opinions on this show are ours and do not represent those of our employers however for the correct number of zeros which probably has to be eight or nine they could be your opinions too no, I'm cheaper than you. I'd do seven. Okay, well, you know. I mean, depending on where the decimal is, I guess we should define that. The, good point. Yeah. That's a good point. All right, let's let's go ahead and get into some stories. So you had you had one that you wanted to talk about before we get into the uh, the organized por- portion of the show. <laughs> yeah, just a quick aside that kind of came up late to our to my notes. There was an interesting potential exploit that came out uh, by uh, some security re- researchers at a company called ZecOps, Z-E-C Ops. I don't really know them, don't, don't know anything about them. Uh, but they said that they had found a vulnerability in iOS in the mail client that was uh, potentially a zero-click complete exploit. Uh, and there was just some enough ambiguity about it. I was kind of, hmm, not sure about this one. But it certainly was a big deal uh, if somebody had found that. But then Apple came out a couple of days later and said, no, we don't think so. We haven't been able to reproduce it. We haven't seen a working POC. Uh, don't think it's real. So you might say it was fake news. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but I think the takeaway for me is sometimes big press exploits aren't real or aren't what we might think. So sometimes we've got to wait and see how the story develops uh, before we knee-jerk our reaction on them. So I thought it was just an interesting one. It's kind of rare where you see big press come out and then it's not rare for a company to dispute it and not rare for a company to say, you know, try to obfuscate the situation. Apple's usually pretty good about it. But in this case, it looks like, and you know, the story's still playing out, but it looks like whatever the Zekops folks found uh, isn't being reproduced by Apple and may not be real. So I don't know. Uh, but then again, I saw another thing where ZecOps said that, or somebody on the press said that Apple was uh, introducing a patch for it in a forthcoming beta. Beta. So who knows? But it was a weird enough one that 
figure I'd just mention it as a takeaway of uh, always be a little skeptical and always try to you know trust but verify when mm-hmm. these things come out. Well, I guess I should not have smashed my iPhone with a hammer then. No, sorry. Yeah, but ripes. Yeah. All right. Well, live and learn. Okay, so our first uh, our first story, other than the breaking news, uh, comes from ZDNet, and the title is DHS CISA. Companies are getting hacked even after patching Pulse Secure VPNs. Wow. But but Jerry, they're patched. But How they're, can but they still be getting? They're totally but patched. They're patched. They're patched. So. I don't, I don't, I don't understand. It's uh, obviously fake news. We'll move on. Um, oh, so, okay. Then. <laughs> so, this is this is, by the way, one of the really, uh, I, I think, unspoken problems we have in our industry when we have some sort of a significant zero day uh, that's known to be exploited, um, you know, simultaneous or or um, maybe before most organizations have applied the patch, it, you know, it can provide an, an opportunity for the adver- for some adversaries to establish a beachhead that doesn't go away after the vulnerability is patched. And, and I think a lot of organizations that, that I've seen at least, and, and certainly, you know, this seems to be in concert with what DHS is saying that, you know, that this is, uh, this is a real problem, and and so the story here is back last year, and I think we talked about it at the time. Uh, Pulse Secure is big VPN provider. I think it's technology that's kind of baked into a number of different, um, you know, different types of VPNs, in addition to their own. Yeah, it's pretty widely used. That's for sure. Had, had a uh, had a you know really significant uh, a, a vulnerability that was actively being exploited. Uh, by multiple different actors, and what DHS is pointing out here is that they're seeing um, they're seeing clear evidence that there are some actors who had used the access, you know, used the vulnerability at the time to collect credentials, uh, which you know, w- which allowed them to re- retain access through the VPN even after the VPN had been. Uh, been patched, so you know basically they 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 collected some credentials uh, while the the VPN concentrator was vulnerable. Uh, after the VPN concentrator was patched, those same credentials allowed access through the VPN, and Bing Bang Boom, there you know the bad guys are still able to uh, have access uh, to the network. And you know this is the again this is a um, this is a a, a difficult situation right because uh, at some level we don't have access or we don't have uh, the resources i should say to roll incident response every time we you know ha- have to patch some sort of zero day and so there's you know there is a i guess an art form around figuring out what you know when you need to do that uh, now f- you know for for their part the uh, you know, CSA and and actually JP Cert had released some uh, some code on GitHub, which will help you let you let you parse your Pulse Secure logs to see if there's any evidence that people are um, or, or had been uh, 
compromise or you have been attacking your VPN concentrator. But at this point, you know, if if you had already patched it, it's probably been so long that you, you know, <laughs> you may well, not even have the logs anymore. And if they've gathered a bunch of credentials, it doesn't mean they have to come back against the VPN concentrator either. They could be looking for open RDP. They could be looking for web Absolutely. portals that are right. using AD credentials or anything else exposed to the internet or somebody reusing a password. So there's, yeah, there's a or, whole bunch of or put there. in rats or, I mean, there's you do, lots and lots and lots of different ways of maintaining persistence. And, you know, once they're in, it's, it's, you know, kind of off to the races and that there are many different ways of, of, uh, of doing that. So, so I guess this argues for really good post breach forensics, for breach detection breach forensics to understand what exactly they did so you can identify what they might have captured or where they might have you know put a put a beachhead or yeah, something but so, so that but that's the issue here right so you if you if you think of yourself just consider you're an organization that has one of these pulse secure vpns and you have uh you know your normal patch process says, you know, I'm pretty sure this was a a high severity patch, right? Your normal process says that we have to patch high severity thing on the internet within a week or two weeks, right? You have no indication at the time that you were hacked, right? Yeah, you you would have to have some other detection mechanism that triggered somehow if you got lucky. And I think that's the issue is, is that you know, so so organizations just applied the patch, completely ignorant of the fact or possible fact that somebody actually used the, um, you know, used the vulnerability to compromise uh, the organization, and uh, and that kind of goes back to what I was what I was saying. You know, it's it's kind of un- impractical to run some sort of incident response. You know, ever after every time you patch a flaw on your um, you know, on your VPN concentrator or your, you know, your web server. But on the other hand, is it irresponsible not to? <laughs> and Well, I think if it's a high-value internet-facing device, I think the appropriate thing to do is try to find some IOCs of mm-hmm. behavior on that device that indicated potential exploitation, if possible. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and it, I mean, it, I think it goes goes back to the point you you really need to have enough visibility in your organization to you know hopefully detect things that get through right because you can't count on defense your defenses being perfect so you really have i mean it comes this is especially when an o day pops yeah. by no fault of your own right right you have you know, to have up. some some ability to see what's going on to see what's going on and, and recognize that, you know, you have an issue that you have to go investigate. And, you know, you know, some people might say, well, run multiple vendors. But. So what are you going to do? Have them VPN into Pulse Secure and then then they have to VPN into, you know. Well, no, it's more like uh, assume that one of your vendors gets popped with an O-Day, being able to switch to another vendor quickly. Oh, I get I see what you're saying. yeah. But yeah. that's costly. And, you know, back in the day, it was really trendy to run two different vendors for firewalls. And you would sandwich, you, you know, a checkpoint in front of a Cisco or whatever, you know, just picking on two vendors. But 
what I think they found in most studies, and please don't quote me on this because I'm not sure I'm correct, but I think I remember that when someone's trying to run two different vendors, they run neither of them well because they don't necessarily have the same level of expertise. So you're more likely to make mistakes and such. But I don't know. I mean, it's maybe things well, I mean, it certainly, it certainly seems intuitive, right? I, um, it doesn't mean it's accurate. But it doesn't, but mean, yes. it's, but it doesn't mean it's accurate. But it, you know, it 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 is a different. You know, the the underlying principles are the same, but the implementation is different enough that you probably don't have the the resources to have experts in both. And that's where people get bit. Is they usually don't run really good security tools properly mm-hmm. and then they get you know they have problems yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> that's a tough one though that is a tough one but it, I, you know it, it, i think it goes back to two things one is it points out the, you know, the, the ongoing need for defense in depth and and then also the you know the the, the extreme need for visibility tools you know logging and uh, you know, the ability to detect anomalous things happening in it, to detect, and then also to react to anomalous things happening in your in your network. So, so there you go. Um, next story comes from BankInfoSecurity.com, and the title is "Attackers Increasingly Use Web Shells to Create Backdoors." Mm-hmm. It, it's it's a kind of a backdoor featured episode today it it really is yeah or a persistent access episode Persi- yeah there we go yeah. i like that you know what i have persistent access to oh my god my my i was just gonna say my computer your cats i, you. I mean your, my, yeah i'm like sure I, you know they're in quarantine with your me. office my yeah. office yeah okay thank you um so uh deal here is and 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 I will say I have seen this uh I I can independently corroborate the uh the the information here um you know we we've talked about over the years right the the the, the tactics the prevailing tactics used by a, by adversaries you know are are push and pull it sloshes around like water in a in a bucket you know, it it you know, attacks rarely completely move away. You know, for a long time, we were almost exclusively attacking endpoints. You know, it's what what we were seeing. Attacks were very very heavily focused on endpoints because that's where you know the easy money was. It was really easy to fish people, and it was really easy to establish a presence on on workstation. Blah blah blah. Right, but. Um, you know, for for probably a variety of reasons, we're seeing the you know the water in the bucket starting to slosh back the other way, um, where it makes sense for uh, adversaries to be attacking, uh, you know, infrastructure components again, and uh, you know it, whether that's by the way web servers or things like RDP and VPN servers even, um, but web shells, um, you know, web shells is is a you know, it's not an exploit per se, right? It's not a, it's not an attack te- technique. It's a, it, it's it's post exploitation. Well, it's a payload you drop. It's a payload you drop, right? It, it relies on some other issue in in the environment to take advantage of. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of these, you know, a lot of you know web 
um, you know, web applications in particular have vulnerabilities that are, you know, that are exploitable. Um, and it doesn't, you know, it's the, the kind of vulnerability it doesn't look so awful, right? I mean, because most of the times that this is a, you know, a, a, a remote file inclusion or a, a, a file upload vulnerability, you know, they, they aren't, it's not like it's a zero day, you know, remote root exploit. It, um, it's, you know, it's, it's quite often the ability to upload a file and then, and then be able to, to run that file. And, and then, it, you know, then that, provides the you know again the beachhead and it is the window into into the organization and um i've seen this happen over and over and over and over again um it's a you know it's it's a it's a very common tactic and i think it's becoming more you know the point here is the 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 nsa and the the australian signals directorate which is their version of the nsa are um, are, are warning organizations that this tactic is on the increase and they're pointing out that you you know you really ought to be aware of of this and take precautions they do point out that the number one defense is is patching now patching not necessarily you know a, your web server itself like IIS or Apache or nginx or whatever it's patching the web applications like WordPress and, you know, um, SharePoint and Confluence and, and Jira and all, all of the, the thundering herd of other, um, web applications that, you know, that we, uh, we run. I, you know, it's kind of like when you, uh, compromise a workstation, you know, you drop a remote access Trojan when you compromise a web server, sometimes you can drop a what remote access Trojan, but the, the better way is you just put a you know you put a web shell on and and the interesting thing about web shells is it blends in with all the other traffic it it does it does and it um you know it not only blends in with the other traffic but it it kind of blends in with the rest of the the web application and that that kind that goes to the you know some of the the points of um, uh, you know the the advice here is that you you really ought to be implementing what I would describe as file integrity monitoring on your web applications. They describe it in a slightly different way. And they actually, if you, again, they have a GitHub, another GitHub repository, if, in fact, you trust the NSA. No, man, no, you're, no, no, here's what you do. <laughs> you virtualize it, and what you do is you destroy it every 30 seconds and rebuild it in a fresh image. Can we do that on Kubernetes? Uh, I can do it on drugs. Okay, good. Is that the same thing? Yes. Okay. No, no, not, 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 no, 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 it's not, not nothing like that. No. But no, in all seriousness, FIM makes sense, but there are also some that are just a memory. So you might miss those. Correct. Yes. But still not a bad, you'll catch the majority, right? I mean, don't, don't give it up because you might miss an edge case. Yeah. So I will tell you, um, my friend Bob, right? How how is Bob? Is he surviving quarantine? He um, he's getting by. Yeah, I heard he had COVID twenty, which I was very concerned by. But he is ahead of his time. Right, right. Well, yeah. he's always been the hipster, right? You know, so mm. he's 
before it's cool. Right, right. He's he's got to yeah. have uh, he's got to have the new the new thing before it's cool. All right, I distract. Carry on. No, no. So uh, so anyway, my friend Bob, you know, was telling me about an incident he recently worked on, where, um, you know, there there was complete environment compromise right just total environment compromise and then in the ensuing investigation um, bob found that it was actually a web shell so that the the adversary had uploaded a web shell through a flaw in the web web application and that you know of course it was a an an iis server that was active directory domain joined and you know yeah it was it was awesome right it was awesome. Uh, out, of, out of curiosity, how was how did Bob detect the web shell's presence? Um, well, after everything had been burned down, like that, you know, when they what, basically, you know, the, the internals of this organization's uh, network were completely compromised, right? So, so through you know, analyzing system and kind of tracing it back, they ended up on this web server and identified a web shell and through further analysis, they figured out that, you know, that was the initial, the initial point of entry. But what was most problematic from Bob's perspective was it took three days for the adversary to get the web shell to run because antivirus on the web server kept catching it and cleaning it <laughs> brilliant until they found the until they managed to modify the web shell in just such a way that antivirus didn't catch it <laughs> and question for you question <laughs> I, I i understand that we're still evolving antivirus technology but i i understand also that some bleeding edge antivirus technologies have the ability to send alerts and logs to a centralized council when it detects and cleans malicious software. Yes, that was would, the would, that, so. Um, yeah, yeah, um, that was actually the thing that Bob was most angry about, and he was he was mm-hmm. you know he was quite uh, quite angry. Uh, in in fact, that no one apparently had been actually watching anti, you know, the antivirus logs, and and he and he went further to say. If you have a web server, if you have a non-interactively used system, and by that I mean like there isn't somebody with hands-on keyboard, you know, checking their email and crap like that on a on a on a on a server, you really should be quite surprised and alarmed if antivirus on that system detects anything. Well, that's true. I mean. You should. I mean, AVs do trigger false positives from time to time. Right. But, but if nobody's uploading stuff, then the system is relatively static. Uh, things get patched. Things do, things, things do get patched. Hopefully. Absolutely. Hopefully. hopefully. <laughs> from time to time, they get patched. <laughs> uh, you know, but, but yeah, I mean, you sure as sex should be investigating. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, so it, it was a... Um, a, a, a lost opportunity there, uh, and but but uh, you know again I think the it kind of goes back to what the NSA and the ASD are pointing out here that you really ought to be looking for unexpected changes in 
the, the, the content and composition of your web applications. They actually go uh, further and, and they, they provide guidance if you go into their GitHub repository about how to configure on, on a Linux server Audit D and on a Windows server Sysmon. And, and you know, basically, um, they, they do really what I, what I think is a pretty nice job of you know, explaining how to you know, detect things that are indicative that a, that a web shell is there. And, you know, they, and, and there's things that are going to, they have some ideas that are going to be more noisy than others. It's always a trade-off, right? But um, I, I, will, I will say that I am seeing the same sort of, um, you know, the same, the same problem that they're pointing out becoming more common. And so it makes sense and with the reason I wanted to bring this up, it makes sense for us to you know to, to pay attention to this, make sure that we're you know our our, our you know our, our massive you know security operation centers that we all have, of course, are are, are properly attuned uh, to this. I, I I kid about that, right? But um, you know we you don't need a huge stock, right, to be able to say to be able to. Um, you know, det- detect something an alert that should probably never trip. Uh, but I would also, I will also say, as we saw with Equifax again, you you want to test it every now and then to make sure it works. Well, you know, you've also got this problem of alert fatigue. You know, and absolutely, if you're not spending the time to tune your tools, if you don't have the resources available to really tune it and really make it hum, so people believe and trust it. They're going to ignore the alerts and they're going to filter them out. That is very true, and I, you know, we, I think we saw that with that was one of the big issues with Target, which was even farther or even even longer ago, right? Um, yeah, that was wow. That was back when the dinosaurs roamed the internet. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to say the dinosaurs. I was thinking more of the, uh, the the little yellow yield sign with the guy with the shovel, and the hard hat. Oh, wow. Yeah. The I mean, marquee, remember, this, yeah. I was thinking, do you remember flying toasters and how, how popular they were? How I, big of a deal it was? I do, in the singing toilets. Yes. Yeah, well, yep, I mean, yep. we're old. Oh my God, we're old. <laughs> people are like, what the hell are they talking about? No, <laughs> you think people listen? Not voluntarily. Fair. That's fair. That is, yeah. So anyway, uh, last story for today comes from bleepingcomputer.com and the title is Doppelpamer Ransomware Hits Los Angeles County City Leaks Files. So Doppelpamer, uh, which I think Pamer has been around for, for a while, um, is now on the bus with uh, Maze and Soda no Kibi and, and uh, a, you know, a bunch of others who are now not only encrypting your files but also actually stealing them you know, downloading them and um, and then threatening uh, and actually apparently carrying through uh, to upload them and make them available if you if you don't pay the ransom. So this is a a, a story about the city of Torrance in the Los Angeles area. Uh, they they were um, they were infected by uh, Doppelpamer and uh, the ransom was pretty high a uh, hundred bitcoins which is almost seven hundred thousand dollars at the time the story was written uh, you know and, and 
I, I don't believe the city paid, and so the, the the information was in fact posted on a on a website. I think it was um, two hundred over two hundred gigabytes of of data, which the the city claims didn't have any sensitive information. I don't know um, how. Maybe they downloaded it and conclude you know maybe I analyzed it and figured that that was actually true. I, d- I don't know, but 200 gigabytes of stuff is certainly a lot to be able to say that there's no personal data uh, in the mix. But um, and, and also, by the way, there's there's really no indication how this attack um, happened. Although I will say, as we've talked about in the past, there's a there's a fairly defined set of entry points for these these kinds of things right the, the the specific way they progress once they're in an organization can vary um you know some of them are 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 hand tailored uh to you know to to move around in an organization some of them are a little more automated i don't know where this one falls in the spectrum but it's almost certainly going to be one of the common you know phishing rdp um you know password brute forcing or, or password reuse or heck maybe even a web shell uh, I, which by the way I have seen a ransomware attack launched through um, through a web shell so it's not not unheard of wasn't wasn't one of these but um, but yeah so so I think the, the the thing that I really wanted to to relay here is that this is becoming the main mode of operation for most of the organized ransomware gangs now right yeah we've we've been talking about this for a couple of shows and predicting this sort of starting to happen more often where they're gonna right. leak stuff right and so we've talked in the past you know we for for i mean ransomware has been a problem for quite a long time and the you know the the prescriptive you know, mitigation was always well. Make sure you have good backups and and whatnot. And that's really obviously that's still very important for for a lot of different reasons. Only one of which is ransomware. But you know, if you really don't want your data to be published on the internet, it's no longer sufficient, right? It's it's not backups aren't going to help you with that. Now, backups, by the way, will help you. Um, and I have seen this come be useful too. Backups will help you uh, gain some confidence with what was taken, right? So you know, you if you end up knowing where the adversary was, where you know, and and when you can use if you've got backups, you can actually figure out well, you know, what data did they potentially have access to, and figure out what kinds of 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 records were in that set of data. Uh, so, it, which is which is, uh, you know, useful. You can tell what color the horse was after it was, if after it escaped the barn, uh, you know. But but that does it, it can it can certainly help in the case of like HIPAA or or some of the other data privacy regulations. But um, you know, this this really gets back to the point that we have to start focusing, you know, a lot more back on kind of core. You know, back to basics, core security, core hygiene. Like we gotta, yeah. you know, we 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 not only have to make sure they're not. We gotta redouble our efforts to make sure they're not getting in. We also have to make sure that they're not able to get stuff out. Well, this is something that we talk about a lot, which is 
I, I really do feel in general that a lot of security leaders get distracted by shiny new toys and fun, sexy edge cases and playing, you know, cyber James Bond instead of the boring blocking and tackling of asset management, patching, segmentation, and and proper network design and detection, mm-hmm. and EDR, and that and running a SOC properly, and tuning your logs properly, and you know having competent incident responders. I think a lot of executives get caught up in stuff that is, in general, useful once you've mastered the basics, and they want to skip the boring basics. Yeah, the ba- the basics. I think your point is the basics aren't sexy. Which which is true. They're 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 really not. And that's why but they're critically not a important. Video, and that's why there's not a video of this podcast because neither am I. <laughs> I can so relate to that. I'm also not critically important, but the basics in cyber hygiene are. Yeah, well, I I think you're important. I, I do. Oh, yeah. thank you, Jerry. I'm so glad that you could ride my coattails to your success. Absolutely. Thank you. Or for something. Thank you, by the way, for that. I don't know. I don't know if that's how that worked out, but. Huh. Anyway. It's yeah. all good. Anyway. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, if they, they give, they give some, um, actually the, the previous story gave the, the advice. This, this, this article is totally devoid of, of any advice at all. So, um, also important to point out, the organization that was attacked has not confirmed it. Good point. But but the, but all, the data is posted. Yeah. So. But it, it could potentially be fake data. It's unlikely. It's incredibly unlikely. But just for the record, there has been no confirmation that this organization, from the organization or law enforcement, that this organization too, was indeed ransomware. Touche. So the way... The, Yes, that they, they have not confirmed, right? And but the, we'll just assume it's accurate and it, true. And the way the way that it's you know it's come it's come it's come to be known is that BitPamer has this website where they are where they've indicated they're going to disclose data of their victims, and there is in right. fact a page labeled "City of Torrance, California." So it they have a known track record, and yeah. Much like my love for you, it is consistent and dependable. Wow. Wow. <laughs> what? Uh, Look, anyway. man, I've been quarantined for like a year and a half. So That's true. I, I actually feel I feel <laughs> for you, man. Like that's crappy. <laughs> you had Sorry? you had like Sorry? you had like um December, I right? Had- you had like no, a, well, I, no. I had surgery again in December. Oh, that's so, right, that's right. So you had like part of January. I had January and February. Yeah, a little bit of February. That's okay. Look, I'm not bitching. Look, I was mostly <laughs> dead last year, so I'm just happy to be alive. And uh, I'm, I've gotten real good at just you know entertaining myself at home. Good My deal. wife, on the other hand, is hating it with a passion, and I feel bad for her. So uh, I, I, I understand. <laughs> I mean, she's stuck with me. First off, that that's oof. I understand. Anyhow, um, I just completely took us off the. Off yeah, the rails, the, I, this is you know the the here's the crazy one of the crazy things that there there is very little I think in very little hope for like a um 
a solution, a security solution to the, like a point solution, you know, because we've seen a lot of, you know, a, a lot of innovation in security, like antivirus and, and, and other tools that can you know, detect and actually prevent uh, ransomware, right? You know, the, the, the actual encryption. And, and they do it through a bunch of different, you know, pretty innovative ways. But they're really not a great way to keep people from, ta- you know, from copying your data like that. And so, uh, you know, while while I in, I anticipate the ability for us to, you know, to to prevent unauthorized, you know, encryption of your data is going to continue to evolve. I think, you know, the the hope for a technological solution, like a like a blanket solution to this problem is is very unlikely to be forthcoming now you know hey look hopefully somebody takes that as a challenge and goes and figures this you know figures out you, a way you, to do this but. you just want to sell another you want us to buy another shiny black box with blinky lights don't you sure <laughs> is now we just said there's a problem no i know i i'm just saying that that it, it's not going to happen i don't i i, I don't think it's yeah. going to happen so, so you can't. I guess I think people have many security leaders um, are able to sleep at night because they feel like they've solved their ransomware problem by buying into the marketing from you know whatever antivirus vendor and or backups or, and or yeah right and and but the, but the game has changed again. But the game has changed now. Yeah, and and by by the way that that you know that. F- hope they had or that that feeling of comfort they had was probably misplaced even even without this recent development but um, now you you can't even have that and and arguably you know this is as significant a problem as as any Um, you know this is especially especially at this point in the history of IT like we are at peak almost I would say peak privacy concern you know, we're not, getting there. Maybe not peak. In, in, I mean, the US, in the U.S., we're getting there. Yeah, I would say, which is good, by the way. I think. Uh, I, well, we, where I think it really will play out is regulatory compliance issues. When these things get leaked, uh, you might have bigger issues when the government comes knocking with uh, with yes. the big stick because you leaked PAI or whatever uh, that shouldn't have been leaked. Correct. Correct, and I do wonder. I, I, I know I've mentioned this before. Which, if I just interrupt for a second, yeah. if I play that thought out, you know, it's not necessarily you f- your fault. You got hacked, and ransomware hit you, unless you're failing to do the due diligence. So then it becomes a debate: what is the appropriate level of due diligence? And you still got hacked. Well, then that's not your fault, per se, right? Because it, it's like somebody breaking into your to your shop. It's not your fault, but did you put up a bar, the bars that your insurance company wanted you to put up or whatever? There, there's going to, I still think, be this ultimately probably some, and it'll probably suck, but some level of acceptable due diligence and acceptable level of defense that over and above, you're no longer culpable. Uh, you know, much like we're kind of seeing now, well, if a nation state came after you, well, that's clearly not your fault right. kind of thing. Hey, boy. Um in general there there are no safe harbors right that if you get if you get hacked 
clearly you failed. You didn't, you didn't have the right controls in place. And that's a real problem for, for things like GDPR. And I know a lot of organizations still, still kind of struggle with this. And, and what, what I've seen, it's driven some, in my, in my view, kind of weird behavior. There's, you know, there's an assumption on the part of many organizations that if you if you do something like have a you, you get an ISO twenty seven thousand at a station, you know that that will demonstrate if something bad happens, that'll demonstrate to a regulator that you you know that you put in the right level of diligence. But that's totally speculative. There there hasn't hasn't been played out in in court yet. We don't really know how that's going to be viewed or, or, you know, if it'll be, if it'll make a, a, a darn bit of difference. Now, you know, having said that, I think that many organizations do benefit from going through that sort of thing. So it's not necessarily a wasted effort, but I think it's, it's quite, it's, uh, it's quite likely not going to be the, the get out of jail free <laughs> card that, uh, that I think a lot of organization organizations are, are hoping that it'll be, um, you know, over time, with our with our heightened acuity, our heightened sense of of um, a focus on on data privacy, we're going to have to. I mean, this is something that's going to have to be reckoned in the courts. And, and and I know that different different court systems, you know, Europe versus the U.S. are are, are going to be different. But I I would anticipate that as the data privacy regulations in the U.S. continue to evolve. We're going to see some of that, you know, that case law evolve on like what's <laughs> yeah, enough. It's, it's going to happen. I think, I think maybe California is kind of leading that charge right now, most yep, likely. Yep, with CCPA, uh, that's right. So it's tough. I mean, I've, I, look, on one hand, I'm, I'm more libertarian than anything. So I'm not a big fan of government regulations. But um, if you're going to have government regulations, they need to be clear and concise. And so people know how to comply. I don't think we have that today. I think there's no. so much gray area that it makes it really difficult for companies to know how to comply. Correct. And that, by the way, is a, a commonly levied complaint of the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission here in the U.S. And we've talked about that at length in the past. So there's just no, no, you know, no, no guidance, no clear guidance. It just if you if you screw up, you were wrong. Uh, so anyway. That's um, I think we we killed that one. All right, that's uh, that's it. I have to go um, and help uh, some some kids with homework, college homework this time. So that um, that's fun. Good good luck, and you know if you need help, um, Google it. Cause yeah, yeah, well, I mean that's what Stack Overflow is for, right? <laughs> or uh, I should say uh, Stack Exchange. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, thank you to all of our Patreon donors who have stuck with us. We've actually gotten a couple more in the past uh, couple of weeks, so thank you all wow, very much. Awesome, I know you guys rock. Thank you. I don't. I, I'm. I don't know if I always wonder if we should start, you know, calling people out by name. But then again, they might want to be anonymous. So yes, know. but we know and we appreciate it. And I still am amazed that people give us money for our humble little show. So thank you. Yeah. I, I, at some point I would like to, and we got to talk about this offline, but I want to, I want to figure out what we can do more for our donors. So I feel like we need to, to do something more for our donors. 
don't show up at their house. Trust me. No, no, was, not, nothing like that. No. I, I was the judge was very specific. Yeah, I understand. I understand. All right. Have a good week, everyone. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Be well. And we'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.